Hey friend, Sandra Champlain here. I just wanted to let you know on this particular episode, I had a strange recording phenomena. There are times in this audio where it recorded me speaking very, very fast. Please know it's just a technology glitch that I didn't drink too much caffeine. It is an excellent episode with a gal named Emily talking about grief and happiness and the afterlife. She's had a whole lot of loss, and she is extremely inspiring. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And just a reminder, my home base is wedontdie.com, where you can always find our free Sunday gathering with medium demonstration. You can take one of our classes and you can listen to now almost 600 hours of episodes about life after death between this show and my other show on iHeart radio called Shades of the Afterlife. Most people don't know that I found out about the afterlife many, many years before I started sharing about it. What was the thing that happened that finally had me open my mouth? Well, it was the passing of my father and learning firsthand how devastating grief is. And without the passion for helping heal people with grief, not that we're ever totally healed, but get people through grief and onto the other side and back into life. I don't know if I'd have as much passion as sharing what I do. Our guest today is someone who personally knows the pain of grief and is out to impact as many people as she can. Her name is Emily Thoreau Threat, and she is an author, a speaker, a facilitator of the Grief and Happiness Alliance. She's also the host of the Grief and Happiness podcast, and she's got some great books, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief, The Grief and Happiness Handbook, And she's also created some cards called the Grief and Happiness Cards, Gentle Support for Dealing with Grief grief and Finding Happiness. You can find out more at Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief and also griefandhappiness.com. And if you happened to be listening to this in January of 2024, there will be a 10-day free grief summit coming up January 17th. And even if you tune in after this, there's still a way to get the information. You can find out at from morning to light. That website will stay open and the replays will be there after the 10-day summit. So, Emily, I would like to say a warm welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Oh, I'm so happy to be here today. I just love what you do and love to have conversations with you. Oh, and you interviewed me, so that's very sweet, and that will be part of the summit. So let's find out about you. First, aloha. You are in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your history and how you got into what you're doing now. Well, there's there's all sorts of facets that kind of lead to it. And one of the, the big things was I started working on an ambulance as an attendant when I was 14 years old. 
when my dad bought the company and you only had to be 14 years old to be an ambulance attendant. (laughs) So on my 14th birthday, I went on my first call. So I started dealing with lots of different kinds of deaths very young. And since then, I spent the majority of my career in teaching writing at the university level. And I love teaching writing, and I love to see what happens for the people that are writing when they do it. So it was kind of natural for me to use writing to help me when I was dealing with my own grief. And I've had a lot of personal grief. Uh, My parents, my sister, my aunts and uncles, a lot of friends all have died, a whole, whole lot of people. But the two that I had the the most challenged with were my two husbands that died. And when Jacques died, I'd been married to him for 21 years, or 22 years, sorry. (laughs) But he was a, a philosophy professor, and his specialty was bioethics. And what he focused on was the ethics of living and dying. And so he taught all the nurses at the college where he taught the class on how you deal with people with death and dying. And at that time, they had no groups in the community where he lived. And so he started a group for a bereavement group. They called it the Bereaved Persons Association that could come and sit and talk together at that time. And he he worked with like Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. He, he brought her into town to, to speak to the people, and he did a, a sabbatical in England, um, studying the hospice movement there. So he he was very involved in that, and, and because he was, I kind of was on the periphery, ended up being involved in that too, and we had lots of discussions about death and dying, and the really interesting thing with him, he was He had health challenges uh, starting on our fifth wedding anniversary, and we were married 22 years. So there were lots of health challenges over the years, and the last two years were the hardest. And at that time, I think he really thought that he was going to the doctor for all these challenges all the time, so he'd get well, that the doctors were going to make him well. He's a brilliant man, uh, but somehow... It just didn't apply to him. It applied to everybody else. So he had what what he ended up uh, the what he died from was he had uh, renal failure and was on dialysis, and he also had congestive heart failure. And he wrote a book back in 1975. He was a lot older than I am, <laughs> and that book is still in publication today. It's called Ethics Theory and Practice, and it's a college textbook. And they use it in colleges and universities still all over the world. And to keep it fresh, they would have him update it every two to to three years. And so he'd have a a new edition. And I think he ended up with 14 editions that, that he did. And the last edition that he was working on was at the, toward the end of his struggles and with his, his health and we worked together on it because he, he got to the point where he couldn't type very well. So I'd have to go in and edit everything and ask him, is this what you meant when you were trying to say something there? And we worked on it together. And finally, one Friday morning, we got it all done. And he was so happy that he got it done. And at that point, he was he was pretty weak and having a hard time getting around. 
But after we got it done, it was the first time we had submitted it electronically. So we got to talk to his editor and we kind of celebrated and it was really neat. And after we were finished, he said to me, am I going to get better? And I thought that that was when I realized, I didn't realize till then, that all that time he thought that he was suffering through all these medical things because he thought he was going to be better and be back to normal. And I said, no, because I we were honest with each other. And shortly after that conversation, I was helping him go out to the, the car to go to dialysis. And as he sat down in the car, he looked at me and said a not very nice word of shock. And he died. Just like that. So, uh and actually, it kind of is as much as I knew he was going to die because of all the complications of everything that was going on. I knew there would there was a time limit on this, but I I didn't know when it was going to be, so I was kind of shocked too. And I ended up spending a lot of time by myself. We had tons of, of friends and family and people who cared deeply about him and us, and. The, when he first started having these challenges in the last two years of his life, boy, they were there all the time. They'd be at the hospital. They'd come to visit him when he was home. They'd bring flowers. They'd bring casseroles. You know, they'd do whatever. And the longer he was sick, the less we saw of them. And that that lasted, it kind of petered out over a year. And then that next year, there's nobody. I'd call and leave messages and say, hey, can you go to the grocery store for me? Because I can't leave him. And they wouldn't return my call. And it was uh, it was kind of challenging. It was a, a lonely time. And so after he transitioned, I was, I don't know, you know, I, I really sat there a lot. I, I took up um, crocheting and crocheted a whole bunch of scarves that I donated to a fundraiser because <laughs> nobody wanted that many scarves. But it was it was something that I could do to like keep my hands occupied because I just wasn't dealing very well. And he died in February. And when New Year's came along, I thought, I've got to do something. I, I just can't be disconnected from life anymore. I was going to work and coming home, but I wasn't doing anything else. So I decided I would make one intention for the year instead of making a bunch of resolutions, which I usually forgot when I made them. <laughs> so what I, I did was I, I thought about it a long time. I journaled about it. I meditated on it. And it just came to me, accept invitations. And I thought, well, I don't know where that came from because nobody's inviting me to go anywhere or do anything. <laughs> But it was so, so strong. The feeling was just really, really strong that that was what I was supposed to do. So I said, okay, and I committed to that. And as soon as I committed to it, invitations started coming. And there were invitations from people I didn't necessarily know very well. They were invitations to do things that I never would have thought of to go about on my own. And I had one fabulous experience after another. Uh, had so much growth just uh, personally and in the things that I was learning that it was amazing. Like the, the first thing I was invited to do, um, I had written an editorial for the newspaper at their request 
earlier that year. And I guess they remembered that and it was time to seat people on the editorial board for the year. And they invited me to be on the editorial board for the newspaper. And boy, that was fascinating. <laughs> Came with homework and everything. So that I was occupied with what I was doing there and something I never would have thought of. And, and I had many, many incredible things from uh, being on the bioethics committee as a, a, a layperson at the local regional medical center. It was a committee he used to be on as a professional, but they they needed somebody as a layperson and they remembered our relationship and thought that I'd be a good person. And that was a powerful thing to participate in. Um, I was invited by the County Film Commission to start a film festival. Um, I, I went... Um, with friends to South Africa. Again, something I, I wouldn't have thought of, but they said they were going. And I said, gee, I'd like to go. And they said, well, come along. And I thought, oh, okay, I guess I'm supposed to say yes. So, <laughs> But there, I, I could go on for a long time about all these invitations I accepted. And it made a big difference. And it made it so that I could accept the invitation from Ron when I met him to go out to dinner with him. And we were together from then on, from going out to dinner with him. And I got to be with him for 10 years before he died. And we moved to Maui two years before he died. <clears throat> because he'd lived here long before I knew him. And he loved it here. He still had friends. And he he loved the ohana and the aloha of Hawaii. That It's like no place else. And he thought that that would be the best place for us to be. So we sold our house and sold a whole lot of stuff and just moved here. And it, it was amazing. Those, those two years before he died was really amazing. I, I met people that were so kind and became my ohana, which is the Hawaiian word for family. And he actually had, I think, kind of a beautiful transition. It was kind of exactly what he would, want, would have wanted to have. And if if he was, you know, saying, this is what I want, you know, this is my desire. We didn't have that conversation, but I knew that everything that happened was was per his design, so to speak. And then when he had transitioned, I thought, okay, now what do I do? I really don't know that many people here. And I didn't do such a good job with dealing with my grief the first time. And I could say I'd accept trend, or invitations, but nobody knew who I was to invite me to all those fabulous things from last time. And so I just started writing about it since I've always written a lot. And the more I wrote, the more I thought I can help others with the kind of writing that I'm doing. If I could show them how to, to write the kind of writing that I was doing. And so, because I didn't know a lot of people, I put a notice on Meetup and app online and said, if you want to learn how to write to help you with your grief, come on over to my house. And they did. And it was fabulous. So I got in this, this habit of writing about grief a lot. And then several months after he died, a dear friend of his on the mainland just dropped dead suddenly. And he was much younger. We were family friends. And I was very worried about his wife because I knew that she they hadn't made any plans. They, they, you know, she had no idea what she was going to do without him. And I wasn't there to help her. So I decided that I would write her every week for the first year. 
and tell her something in that writing that something that I'd learned in, in my grieving process since I'd had so much of it that I thought could help her. And then I decided if I'm going to write 52 different notes to her, I better figure out if I've got 52 different things to say. <laughs> so I, I did. I sat down and I made a list for one for every week. And as I looked at that list, I said, this, this is an outline for a book, being the writer that I am. So I got an agent and got a publisher and published the first half because 52 chapters was very long <laughs> for a book. So we published uh, 26 in the first book. And my second book was the other 26 chapters. And when I got the first book published and I was still working with people online at that time because of the pandemic, everything had switched to online, I... <clears throat> was trying to figure out, I thought, I, I like what I'm doing. I see good results from what I'm doing, but something's missing. And I was trying to figure out what it was that was missing. And I remembered that after Jacques died, I had read a book called Happy for No Reason by Marcy Shimoff. Mm -hmm. And I thought, that's what's missing. It's happiness. And because nobody talked about happiness with grief. It, you know, grief was sad and people could talk about that and you try to encourage them and buoy them up and give them support but still the focus was on sadness and so I thought I don't know how I'm going to figure out how to do this but I know that's what's missing and so I researched into it and discovered that Marcy had started a happy for no reason certified trainer program and I thought, well, I'll just take that and I'll find out all about <laughs> happiness. And I did. And it was great. I learned so much. And the thing that I liked the best was when you got certified, then Marcy allowed you to use all the research and all the techniques and exercises and practices that she had developed to do whatever you wanted to with. You didn't have to teach like a Marcy Shimoff happy for no reason class. You used the principles to apply it to what you were doing in life. And she did that because she's got followers all over the world. And she had seen so many, trained so many, thousands at a time. And she she was getting kind of worn out from it. It wasn't that she didn't love it, but there's only so long you can keep doing it and keep it fresh. And so she developed this program and she wanted other people to be able to use what she she had developed. So I took it from there and created the Grief and Happiness podcast and loved that. And I thought, I, I want to take it one step further and do a Grief and Happiness writing something. But every time I'd mention it to somebody, they'd go, those two words don't go together. <laughs> you know, that just doesn't work. I don't know how you could possibly do that. So I thought, well, I, I know I can and I'm going to, but I need some support in it. So I did a pilot program. I invited people, different people I'd known in different walks of life throughout my life to uh, come on Zoom and do a pilot program where first we met and I explained to them what my situation was, what I wanted to do. And then we had another session where I did like a gathering would be with them where they did the writing practices. They talked with each other after they wrote and then they learned a happiness practice. And then the final session was to discuss all of it and see what they thought. And they said, you got to do this. It's and All of them said, we never thought about happiness with grief before and, and it's needed and it would be great for you to do that. So um, 
I did. And, and I told them there's one challenge in that I, it costs money to do things like put out a podcast and all the technical stuff and it's not free and anything that I wanted to do with it, I would need uh, support if, and I didn't want to charge anybody who came because I, I didn't feel it was appropriate to charge people to help them with grief. That just seemed wrong to me. And they said, well, then we'll just form a nonprofit organization and we'll cover the expenses and you can let people know that it's not exactly free. So there is perceived value to it because we're supporting them in being able to come to the, the gatherings. And so that was a couple of years ago and that's what we're still doing now. And it's, it's going really well. How can people find out about that? With, with that, you can go to griefandhappiness.com. And that's the the nonprofit organization website. And on there, there's a place where you can find out more about it and you can make a reservation to come to a, a gathering. We do it once a week. And we also have been doing it and getting people from different places in the world that come and having more people. And I've been doing it just myself. So this this organization decided that that we would get together and develop a facilitator training program. So we're in the process of doing our first one right now. And we will be able to have gatherings in different parts of the world and different time zones and different times of day so that we can have it be available to more people now. That is so great. And I know there'll be people watching that feel at home with this and may want to be a facilitator themselves. And Mm -hmm. anyone going through grief, one of the best things is being of service to others. It makes such a huge difference. In a moment, I want to talk to you just about your beliefs in the afterlife, as this is We Don't Die. But before that, talk a little bit about happiness and grief, because it does seem like they're opposite sides of the spectrum. And certainly, I know there are bits of happiness that can randomly appear, but to make that the intention, is that what you do? How does, tell us a little bit of the world of grief and happiness, if you wouldn't mind. (laughs) Well, every week I am so grateful to be guided, and this is kind of like grief in the afterlife, uh, to whatever we're supposed to write about that week. And it surprises me. I'm never quite sure what we're going to do. Uh, one of the really popular ones that we did recently was I asked them to um, plan a children's book where they could explain death and dying to a child, like for a grandfather, for a pet, for they could design it however they wanted to do it. And when I got that inspiration, I thought, I don't know what they're going to think about writing a book, but uh, they love the exercise and they love talking about it and sharing. And a couple of the people are pursuing actually writing the book, but they said it made them look at grief from a different perspective from looking at it for what would a child need to know? What would a child um, be comforted by? So that that's just one example. But another one, again, with the afterlife, I think this is the the most popular thing that I do, and I do it in, in different um, with different parameters to it when we do it. But one thing that I had done was there were things that I just wanted to tell Ron so bad after he was gone. And, I, you know, I, I'd talk or I'd think them, but I thought I, I want to do more than that. So I wrote him a big, long letter and told him 
all the things I was thinking about, what I was going through, what I was talking about, what I want to know about, the whole whole thing. And when I got finished with it, I took a deep breath and I thought, I want to know what his answer is. And so I wrote his answer out from him to me. And it was profound. The things that I was writing were not things that I, I think I would have thought of on my own at all. And it was so comforting and so wonderful that it kind of opened a door for me so that I could, I could experience when there was a, a presence around me or an orchestration of something that would be there for just a, a reminder. And we've done that with writing letters, you're writing letters to parents that have died or friends or pets, whatever it is, and or God, some people who write to God about the whole situation, and then they write back, and they're always amazed at the results that they get when they write back. So that's that's been my confirmation of afterlife and in doing this and then with my podcast uh, all the time i'm i'm having different experiences that'll come through the it's i'm just i'm happy all the time because all this is so positive and supportive i'm actually happier now than i ever have been because i've discovered this truth for me and i'm able to share it with people and i'm seeing what it's doing for them and how it's helping them. So taking different actions leads to happiness. It sounds it, like. Mm-hmm. And it, can it's we being also, actively involved. Being yeah. actively involved. Yeah. And would you also say we can create happiness as opposed Absolutely. to being. Yeah. That's, that's that comes some of the happiness practices that we do. You, you can create happiness through it. Like one of the, the exercises that, that Marcy teaches, and I have done it, I and I don't really think I've done much repetition in, in a couple of years of weekly things that as far as topics, which is kind of fun. But one of the ones that she has is to pretend that you're giving awards one day or one week for and, and what you're giving the awards for and, and go for a walk and say, well, that woman will get the award for the prettiest hairdo and that flower will get the award for the sweetest smell. And, you know, in anything that you see, just figure out what you're going to award. Well, that makes you happy. You know, you're, you're thinking positively about good things. And you might go up to the lady and say, gee, I really like your haircut. Who does your hair for you? You know? So it's it, there are things like that, and that doesn't have anything necessarily to do with grief, but it has to do with you and your heart and being positive, and being able to focus on something positive, and and that's what lets you be able to be happy even with other things going on when when you're grieving. Yeah, grief is definitely a journey, and we can get stuck in it. We hear some terrible stories, people trapped in grief for years. We can move through it. We can obviously honor it because anytime we've loved and lost, even though they're not lost, but it hurts. It's incredible. And our biology changes and things. But I believe that anytime we can insert and create happiness, that does a whole bunch for all the chemicals that run through our being 
to help make the journey a little bit easier and sometimes even fun. Uh You can have Uh a good laugh sometimes, even if you're grieving, you know? Yeah. And sometimes you can pull other people into it and, and they might be surprised, but they're, they usually kind of appreciate it. I I can give you an example of that. That just happened recently. We had a, a good friend of ours decided she wanted to move to Maui when we decided we wanted to move to Maui. She said, you know, I want to move to Maui too. And both of us at, at different times on the same day, she said, I want to move to Maui. And both of us said, we have a like a cottage in Ohana on our property, two bedroom, one bath that we need to rent. And it would be wonderful if you were living on the same property with us. We both gave her the exact same answer. And so she came over with us. And she she has it's been an amazing experience for her to be here and all the things that have happened to her. And she had something really big that she wanted to celebrate with um like everybody she knew. And she rented out a a space at this restaurant where we could have a band and singers and have brunch. And it it was amazing. It was, it was just really, really cool. And the singers, I, I knew one of them. Well, it was a friend of hers. I'd met her through her and the other one I'd seen perform before. And I thought she had retired because she told everybody she retired, but she said she just couldn't pass up this one gig for the two of them to be able to sing together and sing the kind of songs that um, my friend Sheena had asked for. And so we, at one point in my relationship with Ron early on, he said to me one day, I found our song. I just heard it today. And, and so I taped it. It was back when it was more difficult to get things, you couldn't just go to the internet and, and find a song. But he he had it so that he could play it for me and I could hear it. And I listened to the words and I said, that is our song. It's just amazing. It was just us. And it wasn't a song that I ever would have thought of, but I was looking for a, my song. <laughs> it just, just wasn't. And it was by Stevie Wonder. And the name of it is As. And Sheena knew that story. And they were singing uh, a different kind of music kind of all together, the the two of them. And they they brought a band with them, the the whole works. It was really good. And toward the end, Shay, the singer, came over to Sheena and she goes, there's a song that I always wanted to sing to you. And I just never had the opportunity to do it before. So it's a Stevie Wonder song and I want to sing it now. Well, Shannon and I were sitting next to each other. We looked at each other and Shannon said, if she, if they do as, then we know Ron's right here with us. And they did. Oh, gave me goosebumps with that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Emily, if somebody is interested, I know you gave uh, the website griefandhappiness.com mm-hmm. and people can participate. But if people are interested in your books and the cards, mm-hmm. maybe you could, where would somebody get started? You said 26 you can, in, in each. Where do we start? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's there's two books. They don't have to be uh, read in any particular order because each one of the chapters is on a different subject. So there are 52 different subjects there. 
And the, the friend that I wrote them for after that year, she said, you have to publish these. And I've been trying to figure out a way to do it until this year. And I finally, when I wrote my, or published my uh, Grief and Happiness Handbook, when I was talking to the owner of the company, she said, I read your book and I'm very interested in those cards. You know, we, we publish cards too. <laughs> I thought, well, I guess that's probably why I came to you. I didn't know it, but <laughs> they they got the cards published for me, and they're they're gorgeous. They're just beautiful cards. And on one side, it has one of those fifty-two things that I said, and on the other side, there's a picture of nature that I took on Maui. So there's fifty-two different pictures to go with the fifty-two different cards, and it, it's it's kind of beautiful. And you can do whatever you want to with them. You can pull one out whenever you want to read one or you feel like you need support. You can pull one out and write about it. You can um, give the box to somebody as a bereavement gift. It's much, you know, flowers die, but these cards will support them for a long time. And and they're lovely. They're, they're just a really nice quality. So that's that's the sort of thing you could do with the cards. But with the books, you can go to the the table of contents and say, Oh, I need to read this chapter on forgiveness today because I'm really ticked off with how my so-and-so handled what I'm doing with my grief. And so you can read that. And then it gives you exercises in the handbook to uh, work on whatever the subject is. So there's there's lots of, of stuff there that they can get and read it. You know, you could the first book is Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. And the second one is a Grief and Happiness Handbook. And you can read them in that order if you want to one chapter at a time all the way through, but you could also read whatever chapter you want to whenever you want to read it. And I've, I've had people do both ways and the people that do it one way like that way and the people that do it the other way like that way. So you can use it however you want to use it. And sometimes and they're all just, available on Amazon too. That was my next question. Sometimes you just want to open to a random chapter and you can... Mm -hmm read something and it turns to be what you needed to read. I wanted to go back to the beginning when you were talking about your journey, when the friends started to disappear, the longer time went on. That happens often. People don't know what to do or what to say. And so often people disappear. What would be your advice if someone's grieving, maybe on both sides, if you're experiencing this drop of friendship and also, if you're a friend and you don't know what to say, don't go away. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I can talk about that because the the people just really kind of disappeared, except for one. <laughs> I had a girlfriend that I met right after eighth grade, and we got to be really good friends. And we we didn't live in the same town, but we stayed in touch and had lots of interconnections with our, our families and everything it was pretty amazing. And at one point in her life, she needed to move far away to get away from a, a bad situation. And I didn't have her address. She didn't, nobody did. She didn't let people know where she went. And I thought I might not ever see her again. And I was, I was sad about that, but I really wanted to. And when Jacques was in the hospital, he'd been in, many times, but this particular time he had been in for quite a while with uh, not only his health, but he had fallen in a, our community was a very, very hot place. And he, he ended up 
on his back on the asphalt and it burned the asphalt burned him so he was in the hospital for quite a while for the burns on top of everything else and when they finally let him go home right before he was going to go home from the hospital i got an email from my friend and i was just shocked and she said i came to california because i'm taking my daughter to start grad school and i thought well i'm in california i wanted to find you and visit you and i said how'd you find me <laughs> and she said i i wrote college textbooks too i didn't say that be, before she she said i uh looked you up and found who your publisher was and i contacted them and said who i was and she she worked her way through so she she was able to find me well they admitted or they discharged him right when she was supposed to come visit and she was going to come visit at the hospital. And I thought, I still, I don't have her phone number. I don't know what I'm going to do. And it would to get so close and we're going to lose it again. And on the way home from the hospital, I had to start stop at and pick up supplies for treating his, his burns. And I asked him to please stay in the car. I'd only be in there for a minute. And he said, sure, fine, no problem. By the time I got around to the other side of the car, he'd gotten out of the car, fallen down and broken his hip. And another hospital was right across the street from where this happened. So he went into that hospital and had to have um, surgery. And when he um, came out of the surgery, he was very confused. And it turned out that his, he had uh, renal failure. And that leads to a lot of confusion. And he that was when he had to start dialysis. So I was I was sitting here dealing with this and trying to figure out what was going on. And my friend walks into the room. I said, how did you figure that? And she's brilliant. She just was able to figure it out. She ended up staying with me from then until about four months after he died and helping me. Just the two of us took care of things together. My daughter lived in, in Texas at the time, and she was working with somebody that lived in California where, where we were. So she would come out once a month for work so that she could be with us once a month during this this time to, to help out. But she was like the only person in, until my other friend got there. And we supported each other so much. I don't know what either one of us would have done without each other. And she hadn't even met Jacques before, and she was helping with bathing him and doing everything else and it it was it was really wonderful but then when we had his service it was the most incredible service i've ever seen and there were so many people um at the time i had uh, we had created this live theater in this beautiful building with the 100 seat theater and a school of arts and an art gallery and a cafe and all that and i ended up two years before he died, uh, donating it all to the nonprofit that had been going along with it to make sure that the kids that went to the school had scholarships so that they could come. And we had the the service there and the whole theater was full. They pulled back the curtains on the side of the stage so people could sit on the wings. They had people in the lobby. They had people on the sidewalk out in front. And the service was absolutely incredible. It was something that a, a friend of his uh, from Georgia across the country, he'd moved away, uh, came out to, to do this service. And it had just blow you away with all these people. And then when it was over and we went home, I was by myself again. 
And I thought, come on, you know, <laughs> this, this just isn't right. But I thought I'm not going to, I didn't want to push myself on them because I thought they're uncomfortable around me. They, they don't know what to do with a widow. And so that would make me uncomfortable around them. And I had one friend who was a widow whose husband died a few months before my husband, and she got it. So she'd ask me out every once in a while. And that that was really helpful to have her. And then one of the doctors that we met while uh, Jacques was going through all he was going through became a became our friend. He was a research physician, not a not a hands-on. He wasn't taking care of Jacques. He just happened to work in the hospital where Jacques was. And with Jacques being a philosopher, people, you know, intelligent people like to have conversations with him. So he'd stop by and talk all the time. Well, a little bit after uh, Jacques' service, he called me and he said, I know how involved you are in the community, and I know that you would love to be out and you haven't been able to for a long time. And I know that not a whole lot of people are coming to see you. <laughs> and he said, if you want to go someplace, just let me know and I'll take you. And he says, this isn't a date. I'm not asking you out. I just want to help you. I want to want to support. And that was great. He was just wonderful. I just loved it. I heard some people say pretty stupid things when they'd see the two of us someplace because they just couldn't imagine that a man and a woman could be out and it wasn't a date. And they thought it was much too soon for a date. And I, I and, and you said it close enough so I could hear it to be sure. <laughs> but I thought, I, I don't care. That's that's the, their problem. And those those were the couple people, those those three people were the ones that I was in contact with at all for until I started my accepting invitations. I and, love and that. And I got people back. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> it just shows how powerful intentions are and opens up your listening and people start asking and what a ride you've been on with all those different experiences. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. But I, yeah, I want to get back a little bit to because what you were yeah. asking me is, what do you do about that? Yes. And my thing was to find a way to be in contact with people and not necessarily people I knew. And that's what I did after Ron died. And I was teaching people I didn't know because I didn't know anybody on the island who knew somebody who died except for Ron. <laughs> so I had to, to reach beyond my circle of friends to find people. And it, that that became one of those things like you meet one person and they introduce you to somebody else and they you know and it just multiplies till pretty soon you you know a lot of people i it's hard for me to go well there there really aren't that many people on maui that actually live here so it's not unusual to go someplace and run into somebody you know anytime you go any place and that wasn't happening for me at the beginning but now it is and it's it's because of deciding that i was going to find a way to put myself out there and putting myself out there in service of others resonated with me that I could, I could not talk myself out of it because it was too hard to go meet new, new people under the circumstances. Yeah. And it's so that, that sort of thing, you know, I, I tell people, and these are some of the things I write about in my book, volunteer, you know, there's, there's a million different ways that you can volunteer in it. And, I'm sure one of them or more is something that you'd be interested in. And just get get out of your own way, get out of your own limited perspective and try something new. I also took classes and I met people that way. 
I took and I took art classes, I learned that I could draw. I didn't think that I could draw. And I love drawing now. And I started watercoloring too. And I I do, up until that time, I had been spending my time on uh, ceramic sculpture because I really loved that. But I expanded out from there and tried these new things and have met people. And another thing I did, the property that we bought here had a lot of tropical fruit growing on it. And it was just Ron and I, and I thought, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do with all this fruit. <laughs> so there's a, another app uh, next door that's available most place, places. And I put a, a notice on next door that on every Friday in my front yard, you could come over and bring whatever you had from your garden that you wanted to share. And I'll share whatever I have my from my garden. And we'll just, we call it produce share. And we've done that every week since we moved here. And we have such a another ohana, <laughs> the, the group of people that some of us have come the whole time. And other people have come in and out or come every once in a while when they've got a bunch of stuff that they want to share. And it, it's total. I even joined the farmers unions <laughs> here because but I met more people there. And that was nothing that would have been in my frame of reference before. But it's just opening yourself up. Helping people and saying yes is what you can do to help with that. Oh, that's great. And I love next door. It's I know I don't know if it's worldwide or not, but I know in America we have it, nextdoor.com. And it's you can meet people in your neighborhood and share and and it's great. It's great. Mm-hmm. I know I've been able to get rid of things um that I don't need, just give it away. There's a neighborhood that somebody really wants, wants it. it. <laughs> they do, they really do. Uh-huh. When you host and facilitate your weekly events with griefandhappiness.com there, do people get to know each other? Does the same faces mm-hmm. start showing up um, or can people hear? Because it, it helps to know you're not alone and hear other people mm-hmm. maybe doing the exercises. And can I'm assuming it's all done on Zoom. Yeah, it's all done on Zoom. And, and they do. that. We, we've become pretty close. Um, three of the people that are doing the facilitator training are people from the group. And I, I think that that's neat, but we, um, every, every time we do a writing thing, we broke up and break up into breakout rooms. Mm-hmm. And so everybody gets to talk to somebody about what they wrote. And it's usually like three people in a group. So you get a conversation and the, the, selections are arbitrary so they're going into the room with somebody different every time so everybody kind of gets to know everybody else and some people come every once in a while some people come every week some people come a couple times a month it it's just you never know who's going to be there and whoever's there is who's supposed to be there that day and they they do get to know each other and um get to be really friendly with each other and care about each other when are they held? Is it the same time every week? Yes, it is. Uh, right now we're doing it on Sundays. We did a, a study to see when the most people, what time and what day the most people would be able to come. And that was the time that they could come on Sunday. And it's uh, 10 o'clock in Hawaii. It's noon on uh, the West Coast. And on the East Coast, it's 3. 3 o'clock. Mm-hmm. So okay. so all we're all... All meeting at once, but there, it's different times depending on on where you live. Saudi Arabia, oh Sweden, uh, Australia, New Zealand, lots from Canada, several from England or the UK. 
So, That's so great. It's the same time, kind of overlaps with our Sunday gathering, but our Sunday gathering is recorded so people can attend yours live and then they can watch the replay if they like. <laughs> yeah, we don't Share record that. ours. So I figured because it keeps everything private. Mm-hmm. No problem at all. I'd like to talk a little bit about what's coming up from morning to light dot com. That's the site. There's a 10 day summit. And we're now talking in the beginning of January of 2024. And if you are watching this sometime in February or after the fact, you can still go to that website. And I believe the replays will be available. And it's held every year and different times a year. But would you like to tell us a little bit about this 10 day summit that's free to attend uh, during it? And what it is and how it was created and what people can expect. It's, it is a, a wonderful program. I really like it a lot. And it is from morning to light. And that morning has a, a U in it. So it's morning like grief. It's not morning like sunshine. So uh, that's, that's the significance of the name of going through morning and finding light at the other end. So, uh, Sadie Bile came up with this concept after she lost her husband. Uh, they weren't he, they weren't that old, and he was killed in a car accident in front of her. And she needed to do something, and she she wanted to help people too. <clears throat> and she lived in South Africa at the time. She lives in um, Italy now, and she created this program and. I ran across it when somebody recommended me to be one of the speakers a couple of years ago. And I was so impressed with it. And I have people that come to my group every week because they heard me speak on that summit. So I know that, and, and they're the people that, one of them's from England, one of them's from Canada. <laughs> they're, they're people from different places. So I, I really see the value in that. And we have different people every time and the people that we interview are just fascinating like you for instance this is how I met you was was uh, getting prepared for that um so you I uh, Marcy Shimoff I mentioned the book she wrote I interviewed her this year for for the summit and she's got lots of things to say about happiness and grief and how how it can serve you and I don't know um let me see. Dr. Evan Alexander is another person who I interviewed, and he wrote the book um, Proof of Heaven, mm-hmm. a neurosurgeon who has done remarkable work at bringing neurologists <laughs> into the realm of the possibility that life doesn't begin at birth and end at death. Because that's that's their basic belief, most of them, because they're very scientific and, and they, they have to have the science. But when this experience happened to Dr. Alexander, he was shocked and he's made it kind of his life work to help his fellow physicians uh, learn more about this subject. So he's really fascinating. And I, I got to interview him. So there's there's 21 of us. We actually, the very first one, I we have Sadie, and it's the only time that she's done a group, but she had uh, me, the Sadie and I, interview two of my board members for my nonprofit and talk about community and grief and how you can be supported in community and grief. 
And that's a really interesting conversation because we need a lot more of that. Yeah, absolutely. So, and you can watch it for free during those 21 days. You didn't have to pay a thing. If you decide you want to keep them all, <laughs> you can become a, a VIP and be able to have recordings of them all to, to have for the rest of your life. Wonderful. So uh, it's a great program. Is the website I just mentioned the best way people can find out? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we, we also have a Facebook page that you can, it's, and it's for morning to light and you, you request to be on and then we let you in. So uh, those are two ways that you can find out about us. That's excellent. And then if you're listening or watching this on YouTube in the description, I will have a link right there, or I do have by now when you're watching it, there is a, live link that you can click on so you can register and find out more about it. Emily, our time is coming to an end. Is there anything in your heart else that I should have asked you that you want to share or any final closing words? It's been really a delight talking to you and it's, it's nice to see you again. Truly oh, is. thank you. <laughs> I, I think, I think probably my main message, especially concerning this particular podcast is be open just see what comes your way and and don't judge it just experience it and you'll be amazed at what can happen for you great words great words well emily thank you for being our guest today oh thank you i'm i just love to talk to you yeah there's going to be much more i can just feel <laughs> for the future and for our listener or our viewer thank you for taking the time to be with us. Uh, just a reminder, Emily's books, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief and the Love and Happiness Handbook. Her website is lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com. If you want to join one of her weekly events, go to griefandhappiness.com. And then if you should be catching this at the right time or want the replays of, well, the 10-day summit, go to from morning to light.com. And just remember to put a U in morning, morning to light.com. And my website, we don't die.com. If you're not yet a member, you'd get a free copy of my book. If you enter your name and your email address at the bottom of the page at we don't die.com, it says you just get the first few chapters. It's the whole book. Chapter 10 is a very powerful chapter on how to survive grief. And I've spoken to Emily enough to know we are like-minded souls and what's important and what we can do with grief. So I love hearing about happiness and I love that she's put together 52 different topics. And I love those cards that you can pull. You can find those on Amazon. Also a reminder that we have our free Sunday gathering, which starts at two o'clock New York time every Sunday. It's free. It's super duper duper fun and empowering. And there's a medium demonstration included in each one completely free. They are recorded. So if you want to go to one of her events and catch the recording of ours, you can certainly do that. That's at the Sunday gathering link at we don't die.com. There's always upcoming medium classes, demonstrations. And like I said, between this podcast and shades of the afterlife, there's almost 600 episodes. So that's, that's a lot. So hearing from Emily and hearing from myself, we are two committed women 
really that want to make a difference. And we've been through a lot and it does help to share. And I know she had said, but it really gives us our life and our purpose. And it makes a difference. Just it really makes a difference. So this is real. Your loved ones are around. We don't die. And there certainly is help and hope through grief. And it also can launch you into an unknown, fantastic world, uh, really, when you go out looking for answers. So in closing, my name is Sandra Champlain. I'm always so delighted to be your host on We Don't Die Radio. I do believe that life is an education for the soul, and that your life here on earth is important. So have some hope, set that intention, accept invitations. We need to get out of our own heads sometime and into whether a weekly event or into a great book or join that 10 day summit, whatever it is, get yourself with people, whether it's live or online or reading or listening, and it'll make a difference. So thank you for listening or for watching, and we'll see you again soon.